Let's get real. Who wants to have another surface level conversation? Not us. I'm Samantha. And I'm Christian. Two friends having raw but truth-filled conversations about the messiness of life. So buckle up and don't be shy. Because yep, we're We're going going there. there. Hello, Going There listeners. We are back with some more fun holiday content. We wanted to kind of give some episodes this time of year that apply really to any time of the year, but specifically could be more difficult while you're walking through the holidays. So Christian, hi. Yeah, we are excited today. We have a guest with us, Julie. So hi, Julie. Julie. Hi, how are you all today? Thanks for having me on. We're excited to talk with you. So thanks for coming on Going There. Yes, guys, we will let Julie tell a little bit more of her story. But like Samantha said, we wanted to bring you all some content of just some things that we felt honestly like on our hearts and minds for the holiday season so that we can prepare well to be with family and to celebrate Jesus. And so we thought Julie's story, we've heard a bit about it, but we're excited to dive in more. But we thought it would be perfect to bring to you all today just to prepare ourselves. And so Julie, we're glad you you're here and excited to chat with you. Yeah. Will you get started by telling us a little bit about yourself, where you live, your hobbies, your family, all the good things about you? Sure. Thank you again. And yes, I grew up in Dallas, Texas. My parents were in the restaurant business. My dad had the first restaurant that was combination nightclub in Texas many, many years ago. And they were living the high life. And we lived in what would be kind of like the Beverly Hills of Texas. We lived in Highland Park. And so I grew up those years, very privileged. So I come from that background in the beginning. And as far as my family, I'm married with two kids and a sweet husband that I've been married to for 29 years this week. Oh, congratulations. Yes. That's awesome. Yes, yes. Got an anniversary coming up. Hobbies. I am a nerd. I like reading and writing. Awesome. (laughs) If I could just go hide and read and write forever, I would. Hey, I don't know if that makes you a nerd or just very wise. Very smart. (laughs) What kind of books do you like to read for fun? Oh, I love Jan Karen. I keep reading her books over and over again. I like, you know, small town. I like things that have to do with settlement. Like, let's see, was it Janet Oak? Or Oki, or how do you say? Oh, yes. And would you have read the like the Four Winds, like Kristen Hanna? Is any of that in your realm, or not really? I have not read that. Okay, but I. It sounds like something I would read. In fact, I've been writing my third book. And so I have not done a ton of reading lately. In fact, I would love to sit down and read another book. Yeah. So. Yeah. I know it's, there's certain seasons where I'm, I'm also a reader. Christian is not for, you know, fiction. Well, you don't enjoy, re- no, you Rude. don't enjoy reading for fun. And so I have to, there's certain seasons where I'm just on a roll with book after book. And then there's other kind of droughts that I have to like make myself jump back into it. So yeah, I get that. But congrats on the 29 years. That's huge. Obviously, guys, as Julie shares a little bit about her story, she shares all of those details about where you grew up because that's an important part of your story. So we want to hear more of that. Walk us through, like, what has your family looked like over your entire life? What have those relationships looked like? And really dive into that story for us a little bit. Well, as I said, my dad was a nightclub owner and he, in fact, discovered some acts and he vacillated between Las Vegas and Dallas. And he's a full-blooded Italian, grew up in an Italian family. That lifestyle was something I am still unraveling. We are still getting some kind of family secrets from years ago. Hmm, And it's all making sense now. So those relationships, I can't go into detail, but if (laughs) If you put Italians and Vegas together, you can pretty well get what's going on. Yeah, we get that. We get this. Yeah. 
So anyways, after about 10 years, my parents were extremely successful. My dad was very empty, kind of found the proverbial Oz, you know, behind the curtain and there was really nothing there. And one night he cried out to God and asked, you know, if there's something more, please, you know, tell me. Ended up making a commercial at a Christian TV station and getting saved and was encouraged to pull the alcohol out of his restaurant. At the time, they were making about $50,000 a month. This was in the 60s Wow! in alcohol. And so when he pulled it out, of course, the whole restaurant and nightclub and everything collapsed. And he turned it into a Christian light club. And oh. uh, that went, yeah, that went for a couple of years and that did not go. But my grandparents were absolutely humiliated when this happened. And it made not only local news, but national news because my parents were pretty well known even nationally. So my grandparents disowned us Mm -hmm. and that was pretty tragic. How old were you around that time? It was about five or six when they disowned us. And so my parents lost all their money. They lost their house. And basically they started over. My dad had no job and he ended up working as the janitor at our church where he had kind of gotten saved then moved up eventually over the years to associate pastor. And so my parents went from nightclub owners to associate pastor. And my dad ended up being the associate pastor of two mega churches here in Dallas, Texas. So most of my growing up years were as a preacher's kid. And I lived in a glass bowl, both, you know, when they were in the nightclub business, as well as in the ministry. So that caused an enormous amount of pressure on our family. And if you can imagine the history of where my parents, my dad specifically, had come from being raised by the person that he was raised by, you can imagine the dysfunction and the ways that they were raised was not godly. And so it was very hard to change those strongholds into and don't get me wrong, my parents really did get saved at the time. And But still, the gospel had not permeated in some areas, and it really came out in our family. Not to cut you off from your story, because I love everything you're saying, and I want you to keep going. But I do think that's a good point to make that, you know, sometimes when we become a Christian, we hear a lot about these, I remember growing up, drastic drastic world changes of like you were a drug addict and then all of a sudden you knew Jesus and you just stopped or these crazy stories. And I do think it's important to know sometimes that you're finding Jesus and walking into that relationship with him. There is sin and there is sometimes years of that sin Mm. and generations of that sin that doesn't just stop overnight. And I actually think that's part of the process of God refining us and sanctifying us. But I do think that there's this misconception that once we follow Jesus, we won't struggle with those same things anymore. And there is freedom from a lot of sin. And of course, he enters in and Mm -hmm. heals us from a lot of those things. But sometimes we do have to struggle and battle those things. So I like that you said that. Yes. And you are exactly right. And family issues really is most of the time generational strongholds. Mm -hmm. These are behaviors that were learned years ago and generations ago. Mm -hmm. And so they don't go away overnight. And it takes a lot of really rethinking and, and transforming your mind and your thoughts. That's why, you know, getting into church and getting quiet times and all that are so important. Mm -hmm. But anyways, needless to say, there was a lot of pressure on me and my sisters to look perfect. And I want to say at this point, there was no sexual misconduct, but a lot can go wrong without just that. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that part, thank the Lord, did not happen. But still, there was a lot of other dysfunctions in our family. And in fact, when I went to counseling, my counselor said he'd 
counseled people at Minworth Meyer for 25 years. And he said, my family was in the top three to five worst that he had seen. Oh, that's always so we're fun talking, to hear. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I was like, is this really that bad? And he was like, yeah, this is kind of bad. Shoot so, it to you straight. Yeah. yeah. So for those of you that are like, uh, you don't know my family, I do get it. I do yeah. get it. Anyway, so after years and years of just really people pleasing and jumping hoops and trying to do everything that my parents wanted. And I was not trained to be able to kind of say anything. It was kind of, you do it their way or no way. And so I was really struggling. I was married by this time, had two kids and I got very, very sick. And that was how I really dealt with my anger and bitterness. I had just internalized it and it came out in my health. And I had a lot of, I don't want to get too graphic here, but if you've had the stomach flu, possibly food poisoning and an ulcer, that's what was going on. A combination of all three of those at once. And you can imagine nothing was staying in. Hmm. And so I'd already had been diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome eight years earlier. And so I knew it was, you know, something with my gut, but I knew something had gotten worse. And so I went, they did colonoscopy at the hospital. And after the call, I thought I was dying and had cancer. And after the colonoscopy and the nurse came in and she, not even the doctor, but the nurse came in and she said, you have Crohn's disease. Your intestines look like ground beef, like ground Mm -hmm. meat Mm -hmm. on your lining and we're going to have to take it out and you're going to have a bag an ileostomy for the rest of your life and they said it was irreversible and then Mm -hmm. she just walked out and so i was absolutely devastated Mm -hmm. i was like i don't want to live i can't have a bag the rest of my life it's going to be noisy i knew somebody had had one it was it smelled it was noisy i was just and and for those of you that do have one i know that it's not the end of the world but it was you know that is devastating news Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I knew what was going on. I, the, the scales fell off my eyes. I knew I was so bitter and angry and the rage had just gotten out of control. And that was at the point I decided that I was going to cut off the relationship with my parents. Wow. So the generational stronghold went the second generation. And mm-hmm. by this point, my older sister had already left the family. Okay. That's what I was going to ask. You mentioned so. you have sisters. How many sisters do you have or siblings? I have two older sisters. The oldest sister had already left the family. The middle sister had not. And when your older sister left the family, was that something that you were like, oh, I can't believe she actually did that? Or were you like deep down like, well, I can understand both. Okay. I knew why she left, but I knew how devastating it was. And so on one end, I was like, I can't believe she did that. And the other end, I knew she was having her own health issues yeah. and just couldn't deal with it anymore either. Well, and so I understood both ends because I saw what it was doing to my parents. Yeah, it was, yeah. I mean, it just was devastating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is crazy though, how much stress and we're talking, you know, It can be easy for us. A lot of us are moms of young kids. It's like you can have a hard day and there's a lot of times that you can recover from things like that. But there are big things like Mm -hmm. you're saying in life that for years, I'm assuming every time you saw your parents, maybe there were some anxious thoughts going on or some just like tension. And then thinking about that, laying down at night, having to kind of replay some of that and processing through everything from your childhood. And that's like years and years and years of stress that built up in your body. And it really is crazy how our body can take on the stress like that. Mm -hmm. And I do feel like there's There's a lot more research being done about that now. Mm -hmm. Oh, gosh, yeah, there's a book called The Body Keeps the Score. And I've 
around a ton of that. And it is so true. Your body remembers, even when your brain tries to forget, your body keeps score. Yeah. And part of that was I had not worked through forgiveness. I didn't understand how to do it. There were so many layers of the past plus present that it was too much for me to process all at one time. And I will say there's a book by Gary Thomas, When to Walk Away. Mm -hmm. And he makes a good point. He says that there's a difference between a toxic and a a difficult relationship and a toxic relationship. And ours had gone toxic. And we had all the earmarks of toxic. I just want to say I like that point because we've done some episodes on this in our culture, younger generations. It's a very big thing right now to cut out the toxic people in your life. And if Mm -hmm. a relationship barely gets difficult or if there's any conflict, people can tend to just run from that because it's just too much to handle. And I love that it sounds like you for years worked towards solutions and you weren't just at Mm -hmm. the first sign of uncomfortableness with your family. Like, okay, see, yeah, this was after years of some like toxic stuff building. Yes. In fact, going back to the story, when I was in bed and decided I would leave my family, of course, my husband, who is the leader of our home, you know, I hadn't told him yet. And so it wasn't just like a unilateral decision. When I got home, we talked through it. He wasn't ready. We wanted to do more work. So it took another year before we actually left. We did counseling with them. They went, then we went and I set harder boundaries. I kept setting boundaries that kept getting broken. There was a progressive pulling back over time because certain goals were not met. Mm -hmm. And so I would say before you ever get to that point, you really need to count the cost because I paid a high price for leaving. Mm -hmm. And so it is such a difficult decision. And by that time, I was backed into a corner between losing my colon and keeping the relationship with my parents. So it was, I love that I would never wanted to leave. Yeah. I love that you mentioned that though, because again, like we're saying, you know, that's so kind of popular in this culture today to just get rid of all these difficult things in your, or people. And you're saying like, we did a ton of work. We went through it. We asked, you know, we had a lot of conversation, did a lot of work, spent a lot Mm -hmm. of time. And I think that's really awesome and admirable of you just to say like, this isn't easy and it's really not fun, but we're going to put in this work for a long time. And that still ended in breaking ties, Mm -hmm. but that is what it took for you to get to that place. And you and your husband are seeking wisdom. You guys are unified in the decision. And I think that's really awesome that you did all of that work to get to that point. Yeah, it was embarrassing. I can't tell you how much shame there was for me leaving. My dad, my husband's the deacon of the church. My dad had been in ministry. I mean, this was not something that was going to go. And he had gone out of ministry by the time we left, but he was still, you know, in his church. They were still leaders, but he was not associate pastor at the time. But my parents were still pretty well known. And so it looked really bad. You know, you got three girls, the oldest had left. Now the third one's left and their friends thought that there was, you know, sexual abuse going on. Mm -hmm. And I knew that they would think that. And it was so, I felt so bad about that because that's not what was going on. I had so much guilt. And it it just, how do you explain this to the Christian community? Because this is messy. As y'all talk Mm -hmm. about messy, Mm -hmm. this is messy. Yeah. And it's very hard to explain. I mean, we had to go there. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a quick question before you continue on with the story. Was that when you decided that day, did you like write them a letter? Did you call them on the phone and say, hey, from this point on, we are not having contact? Like, what did that actual, like, what did that conversation look like? It took another year. And by that time, my husband and I were on the same page. We had done the counseling. And eventually what it did look like was that 
we called them and we said, look, we are leaving the family. We are no contact. Don't even call our kids. Don't no gifts, nothing. We are walking away. And mm-hmm. this is, this relationship is just not working. Mm-hmm. So it was a phone call. It was extremely painful. I, I cried and cried and cried. Yeah. I just, it was awful. And I know my parents, I know were crying, yeah. you know, it, I did not want to hurt them, but I could not function. Mm -hmm. So, and at that point, my kids lost their grandparents. They lost a bunch of cousins. We walked away. We lost, it was like multiple people died at once. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. I'm feeling the pain even as you explain that. So, yeah. Yeah. So talk to us about what do then the next like several years look like? Well, oddly enough, within the first year, I was eating about anything. And so I was right. I had taken the risk of walking away, hoping that that would save my colon. I did not lose my colon and in fact, could eat almost anything. So I knew that was what I needed to do. And then after that, I started, I got into counseling and I spent about 16 months in counseling. And I realized that I could not change my parents. I could not change anyone else. The only one I could change was me. And I had to learn. I was an incredible people pleaser. And I had to learn how to set boundaries and to really reprogram my mind because I had been feeding myself lies and telling myself I was not loved, that God didn't love me, that I was worthless, that I could not set boundaries, that I was too weak, that I was a coward. You know, you have that. I don't know if y'all have had that tape running through your head, but Mm -hmm. I did. And it was destructive. And so one of the things that I did was I learned, I wrote down on one side of the paper, the lies, and then on the other piece of paper, the truth. And then I got scriptures and put them on note cards. And I I know your audience isn't going to see this, but I still have it. Mm -hmm. And I have this whole ring with note cards that I still look over to tell myself the truth because, you know, you tell yourself over and over again for 40 years. And I was about, I was around 40 when I finally walked away. That's a lot of lies for a lot of years. And so I had to work on myself and I realized that no one's ever fixed their family by trying to change someone else. I had to change me. And I was really mad Yeah, because Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm the victim here. Of course, I had that victim mentality. And I was like, I have to change what, you know, it's them, it's them. And I realized, no, it's me. Hmm. I had to stop blaming and I had to deal with them differently. Yeah. That's so, so good, Julie. Um, I love that you've like obviously did the hard work. You're I mean, I love what you just showed us there about the lies and the truths. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about obviously you're in a place now of like digging into yourself or at that point you were in mm-hmm. a place of like digging into yourself, learning all these lies that you believed about yourself, what the Bible says as truth in that. But what is that doing in your relationship as you think about your family? Like are you growing in bitterness? Mm-hmm. Are you growing in forgiveness? Like How are you thinking through at that time? How are you thinking through your family? Are you thinking like we're ever going to reconcile? Or are you like, no, at this point, the only option is moving forward. Kind of walk us through that. Well, it was a seven year estrangement. And I had a lot of emotions within those seven years. And there were days where I thought I'm never going back. I can't go back. They haven't changed. And then there were days I thought, okay, I can forgive. I can, you know, maybe there's some day. I will say forgiveness comes in layers. And It's first the choosing to forgive, Mm -hmm. and then the feelings come later. It's a constant choice to forgive. 
And for me, because there was so much brokenness, I just couldn't process everything that had happened all at once. And that's why it really took seven years for me to work through the anger and the bitterness. And I would love to tell you that <laughs> that I was just one night and all, you know, everything was great. But generational strongholds are really hard to break. It took a lot of prayer and a lot of admitting that I did take responsibility for my junk. And in the meantime, I will tell you this, there was some humbling because I had one of my kids that was angry with me. And so I got it on the other end. Mm -hmm. And that really did a number because I realized I was repeating some of the same bad behaviors that I had learned and it was going the next generation. Mm -hmm. I talk about scary. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I know unforgiveness is what repeats the next generation. And that got my attention. And I can say today that we're very close. I'm very close with my kids. But there was a dicey time during that estrangement that my kids were like, or one of them was like, yeah, you did it. I'll do it. You know, it was, it was a teenager. Mm-hmm. And there's that typical teenager behavior. But there was something there. And I knew it. I knew this was going to repeat if I didn't really work on my forgiveness. Mm-hmm. I feel emotional as you're saying all that because I think I'm obviously it didn't happen overnight. It was seven years, but I just like can picture your day to day, just God like working and like, I don't know. I just have this visual of God just like working and working and working and like working all of these pieces together. And some days it probably felt like there were steps backwards and then forwards. And I just, I feel so just like in awe of the way that God really does enter into the mess and just continues to provide even when it feels like there's no hope for the situation. And I'm just humbled by just your humility. Like, I'm Mm -hmm. honored that you're sharing that with us because I think, too, obviously, you know, we know the end of the story and you guys will get to hear that very shortly from Julie. But I think it's interesting that, like, even you in your what you're saying, this like victim mentality, I love that even in that humility, you said, like, I played a part in that. Like, I had things to work on, I had messes Mm -hmm. that, like, I needed to, like, take care of. And speak truth into and I think that's really hard like I think that's a really messy like even as we talk about it I'm like it's kind of confusing like you know we're hearing your story and it is even confusing for you to now say like no I brought things into that too but I think that's so cool how God works in that to really like Mm -hmm. bring to light the just like messiness of like who we are as humans and we all have things to work on we all have things in relationships that are not perfect and you really did Mm -hmm. the work to say like what am I bringing to the table what am I not bringing to the table and then even like with your own parenting you're saying like I got to see or you know I had to see that even generational sin go down to my kids and that was awful and so it took a lot a lot of work and just you coming in and like sitting with scripture and really digging into what who Christ says you are and who he made you to be and really owning all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things was really shocking to me is a preacher's kid is I didn't believe God loved me. Mm-hmm. And that was the really one of the core issues. I thought he loved everyone else, but he didn't love me because all these difficult and bad things had happened to me as a child. And yet I'm like, where were you, God? And so there was a lot of really wrestling with God to work that out. And it wasn't until I learned how to accept God's love and put that pride down that I could really learn how to start loving others. You can't imagine what it's like, you know, when you walk around feeling unloved, how Mm -hmm. that translates into relationships. 
there's a lot of self-pity and a lot of obsessing and you stay in your head. And that's what makes you sick is you just keep going over and over again. It's like a re-traumatizing yourself, all the bad situations that's happened to you and poor me. And it's like a 3D movie. It, it seems to get worse as you keep replaying it over and over mm-hmm. and, and healing can't come when you're doing that. Mm-hmm. That was a real self-control issue to stop that. There's so many girls that are probably hearing you say that. And even if it's not family estrangements that they're feeling that from, it's Mm -hmm. like, I just know that there are so many girls that feel just so unloved or feel like they've done things in their past that, yeah, Mm -hmm. okay, I can say God forgives me, but I don't really believe that. And just like how much that affects everything about who they are. And so there's freedom in that. And I just am feeling for the people that feel that way, because we all have moments where we feel Mm -hmm. unloved, but just to carry that for years. Yeah, it affects mm-hmm. everything. So you're walking through all of this healing. And then tell us what comes next in your story with your family. Well, at midway through, my dad had a heart attack. And so I did go see him in the hospital because my sister, my middle sister called and said, you know, he may die. And so I went and saw him and it was a very pleasant conversation. And I thought for sure something would happen after that, but nothing happened. So I went another three, three and a half more years healing and praying and working is interesting because at about the seventh year, it was around Christmas time. My husband and I separately have been praying and I was like, I am so tired of going through the holidays. This is so difficult trying to explain to friends and fam- you know, other people mm-hmm. that I'm estranged from my family. Cause I don't know if y'all get the same questions yeah. every year. Who are you going to, you what know, are you doing for Christmas? House? Yeah. What are y'all doing? Mm-hmm. Yep. And it is so hard navigating around that question and trying to skirt it. And I just said, you know, I'm sick of this. And we both had come to that conclusion and God had both been working on our hearts separately and and felt like that the Lord was calling us back to my family. And I was like, I'm not calling them. I want neutral territory. I don't know how I, I couldn't work it out in my head. All I knew was that God was calling us back. And I thought, well, maybe this year God will do something, but nothing happened. We went through the holidays. So I was like, okay. And in January, I had been praying the whole seven years and I really felt like the Lord was telling me to fast. And I was, oh my gosh, I hate, you know, giving up food. I like food. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, what is that going to do? God, starving myself for two days. This is so stupid. I wish I could tell you I'd walked into this with faith and that I had a really great attitude. I really didn't. I was just like, okay, Lord, I'm going to do this. I'm just going to be obedient. And so I prayed and fasted the first Monday and Tuesday of of the new year and just said, God, I need a breakthrough. And I'm, I'm just doing this because I just want to be obedient. And I'm still, I'm getting choked up now just thinking about this because God is so good. Yeah. I prayed and fasted and I was like, you know, my dad's an Italian. He's kind of stubborn. Maybe you could talk to him in a dream. And God did something. He, he I prayed Monday and Tuesday and my father called on Friday you know, and God had worked on him and he called my husband and my husband didn't tell me he went down Friday night to their house about 45 minutes away and he talked to him and there was no apology really, but it was more like, let's make peace. Mm. And so my husband went home Friday night. He just said he was working late and didn't say anything. And he was praying about it Saturday. And by Saturday evening, he he said, Hey, I talked to your parents. And I was like, what? (laughs) You talked to my parents and you haven't told me. And And he he didn't know that you had been praying for your dad or he did, your husband. I mean, we had been praying off and on. Right. You know, I think he knew I was fasting. I don't think he knew the extent of why I was fasting. I really didn't tell anybody exactly why. I didn't even tell anyone that I, I think I might've told him that I prayed for, you know, God to talk to him Mm -hmm. a dream. But anyway, so 
my mom ended up calling and we talked and the peace really came between me and my mom mm-hmm. first and two weeks later oh so i talked to her and then i realized that there was no apologies made and by that monday my heart had hardened again and tuesday we had bsf bible study fellowship and I went there and our teaching leader talked on forgiveness for 45 minutes. Mm. Wow. <laughs> so I was like, Look oh, heavens. And I'm yeah. telling you, I don't, I can't make this up, but my seat was hot and I kept moving around and, you know, looking down and, and thinking there's something, this is so strange. And I was looking at my friend's seats. I was looking under my seat and I was like, this is so weird. And I was like, okay, God, I know you're telling me I need to forgive my parents. And so I, I knew I needed to move on. And so Later that week, I called and we talked. And two weeks later, we were at my parents' house having dinner. And that was the first time in seven years we had talked. Mm -hmm. Other than that hospital stay, which I'd only talked to my father. I'd not even talked to my mother. And so after maybe in the middle of dinner, my dad said, I went to bed and I had a dream a couple of nights ago. And he said, I woke your mom up and said, Julie's coming home. And I was like, you have got to be kidding and he said yeah and i had prayed for a hellfire and brimstone dream (laughs) you know that god would scare him into calling me but god in his graciousness had just said that he said i had a dream that we were sitting at this dining room table eating dinner and that y'all were talking with us and he said and i woke up and i woke up your mom in the middle of the night and i said julie he said julie's coming home and my mom was like yeah right whatever (laughs) you know you've had too many lasagnas last night this is not going to (laughs) happen and sure enough that dream. And I about dropped my fork. I was like, oh my gosh, I prayed that God would talk to you in a mm-hmm. dream. I didn't tell him about the hellfire and brimstone part. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that but yeah, so, yeah, it was amazing. But I mean, I can't explain this. Yeah. There can be nothing but Jesus brokered a deal between yeah. us. And it doesn't happen for everybody like yeah. this, but God works. Yeah. Well, yeah, two things from that. So first I want to say <laughs> it is so hard to forgive someone that isn't sitting there offering the apology. I mean, even as you're saying that, I'm feeling that tension because we've all been there where it's like, if someone graciously comes to me, a friend or my husband or anyone and offers a genuine apology, of course I'm gonna forgive them. Like that's so heartwarming and there's that little kumbaya moment and you hug and you're besties again and you move on. But to be able to forgive someone deep in your soul that isn't really offering the same apology and hasn't maybe done all the same work that you've been doing over years, it just shows how humbled your heart was in the way that God wanted you to forgive and serve them. And I've, you know, I do think that's true, like biblical forgiveness when, you know, even if you even if in some cases it doesn't mean continuing a a relationship or maybe the relationship looks different, but you were still able in your heart to offer forgiveness to them. And I just think that's amazing. And then also just a caveat, some people might be thinking, okay, I've been praying for God to give me a dream or an answer for this or that, and it didn't come that way. That's not the only way that God can speak to us. In your story, that was how it was orchestrated. And it's really cool. And it's beautiful to see that there are miracles that still do happen. And God uses certain things in our life and certain people to bring us to the right peace and good answers on things. But if you're listening to that and praying for a dream, it doesn't always happen that way. But we're we're thankful in your story it did. So just wanted to mention that. Yeah, I mean, it's like praying for a burning bush. You know, yeah. Moses yeah. got his burning bush, but I didn't get a burning bush. I got a dream. Right, Everybody right. got just, mm-hmm. you cannot put God in a box. No. He works mm-hmm. his way in his time 
time. Yeah. And we just have to allow for that. Mm-hmm. And going so, back to that um, forgiveness piece, I think it's so cool though, because like that forgiveness is the gospel that we as yes. God's children time mm-hmm. and time again, do things that God is asking us not to. I mean, we sin all the time and we say like, well, we're going to work mm-hmm. on that. We're going to do it better. And he, as our loving father says like, no, I forgive you. Like my blood has been shed for you because I love mm-hmm. you unconditionally. And again, like we could caveat that a billion ways with all of the like tensions and like toxic relationships that you could be in. But I just think it's so cool that you were entering into that after seeking tons of wisdom, after praying about it, after fasting about it, really saying like, God, like, I don't know what you're doing in this relationship, but I want to trust that like you have this under control that I'm entering into seeking you in what you are wanting me to do with this relationship. And then all of this happens, Mm -hmm. which is really, really cool. Thank you so much for bringing that up about forgiveness, because it is the integral part of a restoration and whether you actually restore the relationship or not, it's about obedience. And, you know, forgiveness is about the offense reconciliation is about the relationship. And I want to give that credit to June Hunt. Last podcast, mm-hmm. I did not give it to June Hunt. And then they quoted me as saying that. I was like, oh my gosh, that, mm-hmm. that is just horrific that I got the, that they quoted me. So I want to say that's June Hunt that said that, but it is so profound because God requires us to forgive no matter what has happened. And it frees us. There's the, you know, the parable of the servant that did not forgive and he ended up in prison. And that is what unforgiveness does. It puts us in prison and we are the only ones that have the key to unlock that. Mm -hmm. That is what really helped lead to my own healing. But reconciliation is about trust and meeting certain marks to restore the relationship. Mm -hmm. Strongholds are broken through forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And that is really the only way, especially with generational strongholds that are so deep and so entrenched, the only route that I have seen that works is through forgiveness. Believe me, I am a chronic unforgiver and I have looked through the Bible and I have looked for every kind of loophole that you could possibly imagine because I was just coming through with that I really have to forgive them, really? Mm. And over and over, God said, yes, yes, this is about me and you, this is about keeping the air clear between us and then allowing him to work on the other side and keeping my, really sweeping my side of the street clean. Yeah. I love that you say that. I was going to bring up that like right now I am studying Hebrews and the number of times the author of Hebrews talks about having a softened heart towards the gospel and just learning more about Jesus and what he's doing in your life is just amazing to me. When you talk about forgiveness, you mentioned like the layers of forgiveness. And I just think that's so good Mm -hmm. that you said, you know, I'm searching through the Bible looking for places that like, can I just not forgive? Like, is that an option? And it's really like, it's not (laughs) like we have to work towards forgiveness. And so talk to us, like, what did those layers of forgiveness? look like? Like when you describe that, talk to us about that. What did softening your heart towards that Yeah, look like? I think getting into my family history, when I got into counseling and I really started digging into my family history and I realized who raised my dad, especially, I started seeing my, my parents as broken individuals who had their own hurts. And my heart really softened seeing the childhood that my parents both had gone through and the dysfunctions that they had. They were just, you know, I just saw them as people instead of my parents. And I had to step back and just realize, you know, and I had talked with them over the years and still talk with them about some of the things that had happened in their families. And we are still uncovering the heinous activities that happen in my family. And every time I hear another story, I am absolutely heartbroken for my parents and what they 
endured. And that has just given me a whole nother perspective of their own hurts and pains and how much that they've had to really work through. And then the next thing is realizing my own sinfulness and having to come to terms and look in the mirror and go, I deserve, I deserve hell. I deserve nothing. I'm just not any different. And God's, it is through God's grace that he has forgiven me and loved me. And how could I not do that to my own parents is to give them the grace that I have been given. I am truly a broken individual who understands my own sinfulness and my own need for grace. And I want to give that back. Mm-hmm. And God continually works on me. I am still in another layer of forgiveness. It's still, you know, I've been back with my family since 2017. And I can tell you, even going back, there's been boo-boos and there are things I've had to do to set boundaries and my family is not perfect. And so I have to have a continual spirit of grace and forgiveness as I walk through the relationship. I want to give it and get it. Mm. And in order to get it, you have to give it. Yeah. Mm. So... I'm also glad that you mentioned that, you know, kind of jumping back into your story, you guys have this dinner and then it's not like the light switch just flipped and it's like, wow, perfect picture family. There's never going to be any weird feelings towards one another and everything's just going to be flawless. It's like every family, even the most healthy families still have weird dynamics because this is what it looks like to live on our planet in a sinful world and deal so closely with other people who oftentimes are very similar to us and we're kind of like butting up against. And so I love that you've still had to navigate hard things. I mean, I don't love that for you, but I love that you mentioned that because Mm -hmm. some people could be hearing this and thinking, well, you know, even if I forgive, it's not going to still be great. And it's like, that's okay too. That might not ever just be this like hunky dory relationship, but we're still called into that. And I've loved your story so much because I think you just offer so much hope to, I don't know, like these young girls that are listening to our podcast or whoever's listening, maybe you're in your 40s. I think that there is a tremendous amount of family dysfunction and just painfulness as we're kind of figuring out our own family dynamics, our own nuclear family, and then what that looks like with in-law relationships or our parents. And I just think you can offer so much hope, especially walking into the holidays to young families starting out to say, like, here's how you can do this or here's a different way. And also recognizing, like you said, I mean, you went through seven years of being estranged. Like there are times for really healthy, strict boundaries because you have to protect your your kids and you and, you know, your health and all the things. So you've said so many good things. I want people to hear kind of just what's that looks like. Then you mentioned a few like bumps and things like even since forgiveness. But what does that look like now? How do you guys kind of navigate through hard things? How do you navigate through disagreements or just kind of like maybe things that come up from the past that you're like, oh, shoot, this was a hard topic in the past. What's that look like now? Do you guys? Yeah. Walk us through that. Well, I have a much closer relationship with my mother more than my dad. My dad is, it took a year for my dad to really apologize. My mom and I really, for the first year, my mom and I really talked through things and she was easier to approach first. And then my dad came along after a time. And then over the years now, he has has gotten ill and he's had water on the brain. And, and so having conversations with him has been difficult. And so I had a window really in that time that God graciously gave me while he was still mentally fully there for me to, to work through some things with him. And so that has helped. But it has been really hard navigating even now because my dad 
his filter has gone more in his illness. And that is really, really hard. So I still have to set boundaries. And even now with the holidays, when I do go, I pray a lot of times a day or two before I go. And I really am working on, you know, keeping those related. And, and I talk with my mom on the phone a lot more. And it's harder to see as much because of just that sad situation that's going on. I really do set boundaries. I have a time and a place, you know, how much time that I go. And I make sure that when I do go, that I'm kind and loving and forgiving. I have a heart of forgiveness. I know a lot of people they'll say <laughs> when they go see peer, you know, family at holiday. Well, if they say there's one thing, that's it. You know, yeah. we're going there. Get and your bags, kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so I really, I walk in with a heart of forgiveness. I'm respectful, gracious. I walk in not feeling triggered or on edge and I'm walking in as the adult and mm. adults behave. They don't pout. They don't have tantrums. They don't yell and scream. They don't do the silent treatment. They don't roll their eyes. And I walk in as someone who I know is loved by God. I know my identity, no Mm -hmm. matter how my family behaves. I know who I am in Christ and that I am loved. I also have a way of escape. I have a car with me. And if things get dicey, I walk, you know, I say, hey, it's, you know, I think it's about time for me to go. And it's usually not because of my mom. It's usually because my dad Mm -hmm. is just, you know, he's just had probably enough time that he's just, he just needs to rest or something. And I just need to go. And then I just continue with a heart of forgiveness. And if it's been dicey that time, then I just, I set a stronger boundary and I say, okay, maybe I'm not going to come for a while. I'll let things kind of die off or cool off or forgiveness and boundaries go hand in hand and they must go hand in hand. You don't walk in as a doormat and just say, well, they can just do whatever they want to me. And I expect my family to have boundaries with me. Mm -hmm. And I expect to be called out if I'm misbehaving. Mm -hmm. This goes two ways. I'm not perfect. And Mm -hmm. so those are some of the things that I really practice. Do I get them all right perfectly all the time? No. Sometimes I might get a little triggered and I really have to work on what goes in my mouth. And that meaning alcohol, (laughs) because I've seen families with alcohol at the place Mm -hmm. not do well and what goes out of my mouth. And so it's both going in and out. And I'm not a big drinker anyways, but I've just seen other family members get triggered when they drink. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something that's really to watch for when you are with families and holidays and just getting together. I mean, I think those are really good, like tangible, both internal, like things Mm -hmm. that you're doing internally in your heart and head to be in a good space. But then also externally, you're saying like, what are things I can have this car? I'm not going to drink a lot. Like all of those things. I think those are really good ways that you have obviously really dug into yourself to say like, how can I set this situation up for success, both for me personally, but also for pursuing like a productive and healthy relationship with my family. I love what you said about just forgiveness takes time and it's going to have layers to it. And even just thinking through what that looks like over time, even as you're many years, you're seven years now into back having or five years back into having a relationship with your family. And I just think that's really Mm -hmm. cool. Mm -hmm. Our local church talks a lot about living in a bigger story. And I think that's what I hear a lot in your story that you for a long time were living under a story that didn't have any love for yourself or you didn't have, you didn't understand your value of what Christ 
you know, gave to you in his, in the gospel itself. And so I think that's really cool that you were obviously seeking tons of wisdom from the Bible and just spending time with Jesus to say like, no, this is where my true identity comes from. So I can turn to my parents and say like, you guys are broken humans too. It's now, you know, hurt me in a lot of ways, but you are choosing to live in that bigger story of understanding, Mm -hmm. you know, what you can be a part of in this healthy family dynamic. Yeah. And like Christian said, I want to reiterate too, like if you're about to walk into the holidays with family, it's like, I hear a lot of times people say, I love how you brought up the alcohol because so many, I hear people say like, well, this family member drinks a ton and then just goes off on everyone at the table. It's like, well, maybe you choose not to drink at all. So you can just be totally in control or like having your own car, not riding with someone else to the great aunt's house that could go off on everyone or whatever. It's like, those are such good practical tips that I wouldn't have really thought through. And and just having maybe an excuse or an out if you need to leave. And then also just like on your way there, that praying, you know, a couple of days before, like praying. So I'm just like wanting to repeat those things as tangible things as like, we're really about to enter into, I mean, we're about to enter into Thanksgiving as we're recording this and Christmas, it'll be Christmas when everyone else hears this. But I think that's such good advice for people because we can talk with our friends about hard family relationships and we can kind of get ourselves worked up about having to see certain people in our family. Family. But I think it's time for us to kind of hear your story and say like, no, I'm going to be proactive this year in the way that I'm approaching my family. And even if they are so far from the same place that I am in the way that I want to bring peace to the family gathering, like I'm still going to choose to do that. And so I love everything you said. I hope that this can provide hope for someone maybe who is struggling with family dynamics or maybe who isn't necessarily, but could help friends walk through that. Or you never know really what the years are going to bring with family situations. So I just think you had so much good wisdom to share and we really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Gosh, thank you so much for having me. And I, you know, I want to say for those of you that are like, well, my family may not end up that way or whatever, you know, I may not have total restoration, I want to give you hope in the fact that my oldest sister decided not to come back Mm -hmm. and I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. And that estrangement is still going on. And I can't wrap this up in a pretty bow. I respect her. I understand it. And I still love her. I have a relationship with her. I'm the only one in my whole family that has a relationship with every single one in the family. Mm -hmm. And I can't wrap this up in a pretty bow. And you may not be able to either, but this is, you have to put this in God's hands. Yeah. And just trust him. You're only responsible for you. So it's just not easy. And God will meet you where you're at. Mm -hmm. And he will help you. You just need to pray about it and ask him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just thought one last thing when you said you were the only one in the family that has a relationship with everyone else. It's like you're able to lay your head on the pillow at night and not have any. I just if I'm even in a tiff with someone in my family or a friendship, it's like that's just so unsettling. So the fact that God gave you that peace and that forgiveness to have those nothing left out on the table with family members is just such a blessing. And so I'm really happy for you in that way. And we just, again, appreciate you sharing all of your story. And I know some of it's vulnerable and we know that God will use it to help others. So thank you. Thank you. And I I do want to tell my parents, thank you, because they gave me permission when I wrote the book. And this is not done behind their back. My mom wrote the afterword on my book. I had complete permission from them. And they don't don't want other people to struggle what we've gone through. So I I really want to thank my parents for letting me talk about this. Can you imagine a family estrangement, getting healing, and then actually going back and talking about it publicly? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, how much that could trigger a family estrangement again. Yeah. So I'm very, very grateful for this. So thank you to my parents. Where can people find your book and find you and follow along with all you're doing? 
Well, my book is on any digital platform. You can find the print copy as well as digital on Amazon and then the digital on any digital platform. You can find my website at momremade.com. And my social media is at Mom Remade on Pinterest, on Instagram, and Facebook. I just really appreciate y'all. I have so enjoyed listening to your podcast. I especially have just enjoyed the fruits of the spirit that you've been working in, that you've been going through right now, because I would just say, bring that into your family. Mm. Such good series right now. And I just, I've gotten tons of laughs and just been tickled by some of the things that y'all say and just your freedom to to be honest with each other. So thank you again for having me. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll make sure to link all of that stuff in our show notes too. So you guys can get more of Julie's content and yeah, you've written two books. You're writing your third, you're busy lady. So yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Julie. Hey, thanks for going there with us. If you loved what you heard, don't forget to follow along with us at going there, the podcast. And it also means so much to us. If you subscribe to our podcast and shared it with a friend, talk to you soon. Bye.